Um, I know, I know it's, it's certainly not the first time that I've um, talked something in relation to prophecy. Um, and, and I think the reason is I just really like biblical prophecy. Uh, fulfilled prophecy in the Bible, I, I love the mystery of it. I love the wonder of it. Uh, and, then, and then to me, the fact that we have prophecies in the Bible that have been fulfilled um, speak to me because I'm by nature a skeptic. Uh, my, my first default system is, is to doubt, to question. I like evidence. I like proof. And so fulfilled prophecy from the Bible has sources from outside of the Bible to, to support it and to bring evidence to it. And so I like, I really, that speaks to me a lot. Uh, that's important to my faith. And it's why I see it as a grace. It's God's grace in prophecy. Uh, he, he predicts the future because it provides evidence, because it provides a tangible thing for us to grasp onto. Um, for me, fulfilled prophecy, then, it, it's proof of, of the authority, of the accuracy, the credibility of God's word. And, and another thing that fulfilled prophecy in the Bible does is it teaches us something really important about God's character. And, and it's that God says what he means, and he means what he says. God says what he means, and he means what he says. I wonder, though, obviously we're not going to go through every prophecy in the Bible, but could you, could you give me some that you're aware of? What are some well-known prophecies from the Bible that have come true? You don't need to, like, recite anything. Give me a specific thing. I'm sorry, say it again. Good. Born in Bethlehem. That he'd be born of a virgin and conceived was a prophecy in the Old Testament that came true. That he'd be from the line of David. Very good. And it mentions, it mentions that. And so it's a prophecy that came true. Others. Yeah, his resurrection in three days we find in the Old Testament. And not one of his bones would be broken. That his name would be Jesus. His resurrection, right? I don't leave him to decay. Very good. All, the, all their, their time in Israel. Be buried in a rich man's grave, as he was. So we have lots, and we could go on, right? We could just go on with more and more fulfilled prophecies. I don't know if you've ever had one of those uh, moments, maybe with a friend or more likely as a parent, where you, you warned your child of something. You might have said, hey, kid, watch where you're walking or you're going to run into something. And then the child doesn't heed your advice and isn't watching where they're going and they like slam into a pole. And it's kind of a, kind of a bittersweet moment because you feel, you feel bad that they walked into the pole and now they're crying and you have to deal with that. And then the other part of you is like, yes, because, because you're glad that they, had, they got this tangible experience of your wisdom. And, but, but it actually is, it really is in the child's best interest. I, I want you to accept my authority. I really do have more experience and wisdom than you because I am, I'm older and I have more experience. There will be times where I want you 
to take my advice. I want you to listen to what I have to say. And so part of you is kind of, come on, be honest, re- rejoices that, that they walked into the pole, right? And you hope next time, next time that they'll listen. That's kind of what you're hoping for. That's, that's one of the reasons why God provided us with prophecy. He, he gives warnings and predictions of the future so that when they come true, we look back and we say, ah, oh, he was right. Uh, God's word is credible. Uh, he is reliable in what he says. I can, I can trust his words. I should probably listen to what God has to say to me. Does that make sense? What I want to do is we're going to look at two portions of Scripture. Uh, they're long, so we're not reading the whole thing. I have some of the verses up there, but you can uh, turn. Or if you get a chance, you can read them this week. Two portions of Scripture where, where that idea that prophecy is a grace that God gives to us to help us in our faith uh, is, is just very directly and clearly stated. So the one portion is Isaiah chapters 41 to 48. And so we're not going to read the whole thing. Uh, Isaiah chapters 41 to 48. But if you want to go there, uh, you can take a look at it. In, in the, they're great chapters. Um, we're going to come to this in just a minute. If you want to go to Isaiah 41, we're going to read one uh, portion of it together. But he's, he's speaking to the nation Israel. And, and he's, he's pleading with them, stop, stop praying to your idols. And, and listen to me. Take my advice. Do what I'm telling you to do. When did your idols ever predict the future for you? He says it repeatedly, five or six times in those chapters. Did they tell you in advance what's going to happen? They didn't, but I did. And so this is a great, a great portion of it, just to kind of give you the flavor of it. It's Isaiah 41. We'll start in verse 21. Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them. In other words, he's saying to the Israelites, come, come bring your idols. Bring them before me. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Your idols, let them, let's hear them. Let us hear them tell us what's going to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome, or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Do good or do harm that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. I stirred up one from the north, and he has come. Let me, let me pause there for a second, because he's actually making a prophecy. It's, it's, I don't know who, term, who coined this term, but it's, it's, it's called the prophetic tense. It's, it's, actually, it's actually a Hebrew form of figurative language. It's an idiom. This is a prophecy where he says, I stirred up one from the north. He's talking past tense, but it hasn't happened yet. And if you get to read those chapters 41 to 48, he actually names him. I'm going to raise up Cyrus. This is 100 years or so in advance of King Cyrus. But it's an idiom in that he says, it's so done. It's as good as completed that I can speak of it in the past tense. Does that make sense? And so that's what he's actually prophesying here. I stirred up one from the north and he has come from the rising of the sun and he shall call upon my name. 
He shall trample on rulers as on mortar as the potter treads clay. Who declared it from the beginning that we might know and beforehand that we might say he's right? There was none who declared it, none who proclaimed, none who heard your words. Again, he's talking to the idols. I was the first to say to Zion, behold, here they are, and I give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. But when I look, there is no one. Among these, there is no counselor who, when I ask, gives an answer. Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. I think, I think in the message version, it says their metal images are farts. No, it's just a joke. It doesn't say it. <laughs> You're all going to go luck and see. Um, do, do you catch it? He's, he's saying, I don't know why you're following your idols. Not once did they predict the future to you like I have repeatedly. In fact, I'll make a prediction right now. Your idols are worthless. They've never predicted the future. And do you know why? Yeah, they don't talk, you morons. That's, they don't even talk. Bring them here. Have them talk. I'll talk to them. Uh, they're nothing. They're nothing. But my prophecies are proof for you, if, if I can tell you what's going to happen, and it's right, how much more right am I going to be when I tell you what is right now? Does that make sense? And, and, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say what I mean, and I mean what I say. And so, and so there is no manipulation, there is no deceit. I'm going to look at another passage with you. Uh, if you, again, if you want to turn there, we're going to kind of pick out some verses, but it's, it's John, the book of John, chapter 13 to 16. This, this same thing happens. Jesus is making predictions and prophecies for the same exact reason. It's grace. It's to help them. He knows what they're about to face. Um, in this section, it's often known as the Lord's Supper. Jesus is hours away from being crucified. Um, and it's his last chance to kind of be with his disciples before that happens. And he's preparing them for what is about to happen. So look at these verses together with me. John thirteen twenty one. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread. Did that come true? Yeah, it did. Later that evening, Judas would leave and sell Christ out. John 13, 33 said, I will be with you only a little longer. Where I'm going, you cannot come. He, he mentions this a couple times. Again, the disciples have no idea what's about to happen. But Jesus did. He knew full well. It's a prediction. John 13, 38. I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you, talking to Peter, will disown me three times. It was a prediction of the future. Did it come true? We know it did, as recorded in the Gospels. Chapter 14. Actually, a lot of 14 and 15 is is Jesus predicting the coming of the Holy Spirit. The work that he would do, and as you get to Acts, it comes true. During Pentecost, the Holy Spirit tangibly comes upon the disciples. Chapter 16, verse 2. Jesus prepares his disciples. He says, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. And sure enough, soon after the resurrection, there's persecution against anyone 
claiming that Jesus was the Messiah and that he had risen from the dead. In fact, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was one of those killing people of the way, thinking, I'm zealous for God. I'm doing him a service. It would come true. This is 1633. It's kind of a broad prediction, but one that you know has come true. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. We're going to come back to that one before we're done. Why? Why? What was the point of him giving really four very, very specific prophecies? One a little bit more broad. Well, we don't need to guess. In fact, it's as clear and obvious as can be. Let's go through a couple more verses in 13 to 16. 13, John chapter 13, verse 19, Jesus said, I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. John 14, 29, I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. 16, 1, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. John 16, 4, I have told you this, so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. And finally, 1633, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. I mean, four, five, possibly six prophecies he gave over the span of a couple hours with his disciples, and five times he says to them, I'm telling you all this, so that you'll believe, so that when it happens, you'll remember. Do you, are you seeing it? It, it, was, it was grace. He didn't, he didn't have to say to Peter, you're going to disown me three times. It wasn't a, hey, hey Peter, you're going to disown me three times, and when it does, I got you, buddy. <laughs> Told you so. That's not his purpose. It's when it happens, you'll remember that I predicted it, that I told you, Because you need to increase your faith. Times of trouble are going to come where you're going to doubt and you're going to question. And I want you to know my words are credible. I speak what is right. I say what I mean and I mean what I say. And so you're going to remember all these things that I predicted in advance. So that you go, if he can predict the future, he can tell me how to live now. Yes? And we get to be the beneficiaries of so much of biblical prophecies. What a great time to be alive. Uh, First Peter, and Peter, he said to them that the Old Testament prophets, they, they longed to understand the things that they were prophesying. They didn't get it. But we do. We get not the whole picture, but we get a lot of the big picture. We see how it connects. We got Bethlehem. We have the virgin birth. We have, you know what I'm saying? All these things that we go, wow, God really does say what he means, and he means what he says. He's not, he's not a God of manipulation or threat. You know what I mean, you know what I mean by that? Um, I know I'm guilty of it. Parents can parent through manipulation or threat sometimes. Manipulation is, is that I, I expect you to do something not just because it's right or because I want you to obey my authority, and so I have to manipulate you. I have to offer you like a bribe. I have to, like, convince you to do something. That's, that's manipulation. Or threats. Threats are when a parent maybe says something to a child that they have no intention or ability of following through on. I uh, saw this a couple weeks ago in BJ's. 
it had to be a three-year-old. I mean, this is, this is the, the mind of a three-year-old. He, on their way out, he just decides, I'm staying. And so he just stopped walking. And mom continued a little bit, and then she turned and kind of, come on, we need to get going, we need to get here. That's all fine. But then, but then she let out the threat. You're, all, you're like, okay, guess I'll just leave you there. Yeah, really? She's going to get in her car and drive off and leave the three-year-old in the middle of BJ's, right? It's a threat. There, there's no way, be like a modern-day jungle book, kid raised by BJ employees. <laughs> He's able to sniff out the bad meat two aisles over. God is God's most definitely not like that in any way. He doesn't manipulate. He doesn't threaten. He means what he says, and he says what he means, and he uses prophecy as a way to say, see, you don't need to doubt me. Don't doubt my word. And there's actually great, there's great hope and confidence in that. What I want to do is look at a specific prophecy with you. Um, it, it's an important one. It's, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 19 with me. Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, uh, beginning in verse 41. Uh, you know this, this event. We often call it the triumphal entry. Uh, Jesus declaring himself and presenting himself as king. He rides into Jerusalem uh, upon this donkey, which was a fulfillment of prophecy, right? And, and we read here, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. If I can, let me just pause there for a second. Because the, the phrase that I keep using, he means, means what he says and he says what he means, can have sort of a harsh connotation to it, Right? I, like, that's the kind of things that your type A personality people say. And, and it's a kind of like, I got you in your face, right? So you kind of get, yeah, I mean what I say, and I say what I mean. Kind of, you know what I'm saying? Rambo might said it. Actually, any Sylvester Stallone movie, he probably would have said it. Um, but, but that's not, I don't want you to have that picture of it with, with God. It's not, a, it's not a gotcha. It's not a I told you so. It's purely... Again, I don't, I'm not manipulating you. I'm not threatening you. It's grace. It's my, I'm just telling you how it is so that you can have confidence in my word. Right? Does that make sense? And so God doesn't boast over it. He doesn't rub it into our faces. And here he knows, he knows the future of the city of Jerusalem, and he weeps. He, he sobs over it. It breaks his heart. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And it's, it's a significant prophecy because he repeats it again. If you go over to Luke chapter 21, if you're following in your Bibles, Luke 21 verse 5 is a couple of days later. Luke wrote it this way. He says, while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, The days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Mark, in Mark we read it this way. 
as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And Jesus replied, Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. It's, it's a crazy prediction. If you can, this is kind of the, the temple area. It's, it's uh, obviously a drawing. It's based on some records and descriptions uh, of historians from the time. The, the center there is, is the temple. It's white. Josephus, the, the well-known Jewish historian, said a lot of it was built in white marble. And he said from a distance it looked like snow on top of Jerusalem. And there were portions that were covered in gold that he said it was blinding if the sun was just hitting it the right way. And that, that temple section is about 10 to, we think, 16 stories tall. Uh, it was a magnificent, huge, huge building. And then surrounding it were courtyards and colonnades and other structures and pools. Uh, it took up about 36 acres. I'll give you an idea, if you can picture the, the church property. Uh, so the, the farmhouse out here, and you kind of go down right to the lake. There's this big field and parking lot behind me. Over this side, the parking lot, there's the house down there. And pretty much wherever there's grass, that's all crossing property. It's, it's about, so I'm told, 14 acres. So you want to you double all of that and then tack on like another eight acres. And that's the size of that whole temple area, what's sometimes called the Temple Mount. Uh, Josephus said the, the stones of the temple were, were about 30 foot long 10 foot high and 14 feet deep. Some, it's interesting. We go to my next slide here. I'm trying to remember what I even have on here. That's just another kind of perspective on it. You can go to the next one. Uh, There's another rendering of it from the outside. That's one of the corners. Uh, You get, you get why the disciples are gone. This place is magnificent. It took, took 80 years to build. By the way, it was still under construction in the time of Christ. They were still working on it and building it. But if you can go to the next slide, uh, this is all that remains standing. It's called the Western Wall. Uh, it was not part of the temple. It was a retaining wall to that whole mountain area. Um, again, I'm going to give you some perspective. You get sort of the heights of just that wall with the people there below it. What's neat is this is actually a picture underneath the Western Wall. They've dug underneath it, and they found that there's eight more courses of stone. So where the street level is today, it was actually lower in Jesus' time. It just gets built up. I don't know how that happened, but it does. And, And here they've actually found some stones that are 45 feet by 15, 15 in height by 14 feet deep. I mean, that's a massive, massive stone. I probably could push it only a couple inches. <laughs> and, and so, and so the dis, one of the disciples remarks to it, look at these massive stones. This place is amazing. And Jesus twice says this prophecy about it. And in tears says, the time will come when an army is going to surround Jerusalem and put an embankment around it. And not one stone of the temple is going to be left standing on itself. Let me give you a little bit of of history. In the year 66, there was an uprising in Israel 
rather successful one. Uh, successful enough that Nero, who's the emperor, sends 45,000 troops to squash it. Uh, after they, they kind of reclaim a lot of the fortresses and strongholds throughout Israel, eighty seventy March of the year 70, uh, General Titus and his 30,000, 40,000 troops surround Jerusalem. He, he decides no one is getting out. There are about 600,000 to a million people in Jerusalem because it's the Passover. And to ensure that nobody escapes, Titus orders his men to go and cut down every tree within a 15-mile radius of Jerusalem. And they build an embankment around the whole city, four and a half miles of earth and trees. And then they, they began battering on the first wall. 15 days, they, they break through the walls of Jerusalem to the city. Everyone, though, had retreated back behind a second wall. The Romans began pounding on that wall. After four days, they broke through, and everyone had retreated to the Temple Mount area. It was a third wall. Sure enough, Roman uh, perseverance continued, and they broke down through that wall, and they slaughtered everyone. They say in, the, in that whole four-year war of Rome coming into Israel, they probably killed a million Jews. Uh, Josephus, the historian who was an eyewitness, by the way, the whole thing, said the bodies were stacked one on top of another, and the blood literally was flowing down the stairs of the temple. They, they broke through, they uh, torched the temple, they lit it on fire, and the heat, the heat of the fire caused all the gold in the temple uh, and on the walls of the temple to melt into the stones. And Titus, wanting to plunder it thoroughly, told his men, pry apart every stone and get me the gold. And in the process, not one stone was left on another. We, we actually, we, we know where the temple area is because of the Western Wall. We actually have, we don't know exactly where the temple stood within that temple area because not one stone was left. It, it's not there. Archaeologically, it's impossible. They tore down the entire thing. And it's a reminder to us that God says what he means and he means what he says. That his, his word is credible. It is true. We can base our lives upon it. Again, if he's able to predict the future correctly, how much more can he correctly tell us how to live in the present? That's the grace of prophecy. I give it to you so that you look back and you go, man, God is amazing. His word is right. His word is true. I have confidence in it. We have confidence. We have assurance that what God says is always going to be the case. We can rely upon it entirely. So let me, let me look. Let me take you back to, to that Last Supper. Again, Jesus gave five or six prophecies in the Last Supper and constantly said, I'm telling you these things so that when they happen, your faith will be increased, basically. Well, what else was there that he told his disciples that we can bank on, you know what I mean? That we can, we can base our lives upon and say, all right, I need to take that to heart. John thirteen thirty four, Jesus told us, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
live on that, rely on that. John 14, 2, well-known words. Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. Great truth. John 14, 14. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Actually, that one's the one he repeats the most. It's like three or four times in those chapters. John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can bank on that. It's going to be true. John 15, 5. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then let me end. I want to bring you back to John 16, 33. This is, this is, he spent the whole night with his disciples. All this teaching about the Holy Spirit. He makes all these predictions. And just before, if you're familiar with, with uh, the course of events, he's going to pray for his disciples, John chapter 17. And then they head out across where he's going to be arrested in this olive grove, right? And so this is actually sort of the last thing he says to them. I believe it encompasses all of what those, you know, four chapters were about. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So much in these statements that we can rely upon. When, when Jesus rode into the city in Jerusalem, do you, remember, do you remember his words? Oh, Jerusalem, if you only knew today what would have brought you peace. And here he gives the answer. In this world you will have trouble. I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. How, how, how is there peace if there's going to be trouble well, it, it's the whole premise of what I'm trying to say. Because you can have peace in trouble when the person who's there with you knows exactly what he's talking about. You can, you can have peace in trouble when you have full confidence that someone is there who knows what's happening. Did you get that? And so that's what we have from prophecy. I don't really know if God knows what's happening. Oh, he knows what's happening. He can predict the future. He knows, he knows it all. He knows what you need right now. And so there's great confidence and hope in the grace of prophecy. And you can, you can read anything in the scriptures and think, this has got to be true. When, when the Holy Spirit speaks through Paul and says, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. You go, I'll live my life on that. I'm going to trust in that. When, when, when he writes and says, the troubles that you face now are nothing in comparison to the eternal glory that awaits you. You go, all right, I bank on that. I can press on. Because God says what he means, and he means what he says. When, when Jesus told his disciples, guys, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or what you'll wear. Seek, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll add all those things unto you. We can trust in that. Because God doesn't say what he doesn't mean, and he means always what he says. And rather than being like, yeah, but... 
but I need, but don't you know, if only, but what if, shut up. He means what he says, and he says what he means. We can trust in that. We can trust in that. You know, that, that part, take heart, I have, I have overcome the world, is in the prophetic tense. That's a, that's a prophecy. You can actually go back to the other one. I don't think I'll get there. Um, he hasn't gone to the cross yet. So, so technically, he hasn't defeated sin. He hasn't defeated death through his resurrection. No, this is the prophetic tense. He's saying, I will have the victory. You can count on it. It's as good as done. The victory is mine. I can speak of it as if it had already occurred. I have overcome the world. Which means one day, the victory will also be yours. Sin will be defeated. Death is defeated. You are not defined by your sin. Your troubles do not define you. God says what he means, and he means what he says. The victory is ours. I love, there's a guy who's, uh, who shared, he, he lives in Hawaii. And he says, I love Monday night football. But in Hawaii, sometimes the Monday night football game is being played live at like 3 in the afternoon. And so they actually, they actually delay it till 6.30. He says, but I can't wait. So I listen to it on the radio because you'll get it live. And then, and then I'll watch it later that night. He says, it's a funny thing. I watch it differently when my, my team's already won. He says, well, they, my, my team fumbles the ball and I go, doesn't matter. In the end, we win. Every sack, every interception, in the end, we win. That's what Christ is telling his disciples. Guys, take heart. You're going to have troubles. But you can have peace. You can have confidence. And I've prepared you for it by giving you predictions of the future that you will see will come true. And so you can, you can count on my word. I mean what I say, and I say what I mean. So live from that.